Um, okay, uh, before we start, as always, it's uh, being sponsored by Yehuda Pellet for that slach of the Chevra, and by Michael Rollhaus, Lezecha Nishmas, Ila Bashleima, and Leah Basafraim, Shamashavaliyah, and a couple other people um, anonymously for their own Hatzlacha, their family's Hatzlacha, and all those that are learning the Daf's Hatzlacha. Okay, so we're up to the beginning of Memhe Amaralov. Just to finish, I should have finished the Sugya yesterday, but just to finish up the Sugya, Shmuel said two statements. One, is that if you sell your slave to someone outside of Eretz Yisrael, the Kenyan, no good. Meaning you have to free him, the other guy has to free him, no good. Then he also said that if you sell your land during Yoival, it's also not, not a good Kenyan. Now, said Ravanan, Ravanan said, one of these statements, in one of these cases, both of them you should not have done the sale, and both of them you did the sale, both of them the sale doesn't work. One of the statements, the guy loses the money, the purchaser lost the money, and one of them says he didn't lose the money. Which one is which? So he said, the Brisa tells us that when you sell an Eved, the person who sold him has to free him, and the person who bought him also has to write a bill of emancipation. That means that it's a sale. I have to write a bill of emancipation, I lose my money. So the Gemara just says, why did Rav Anan, why didn't Rav Anan deduce it from this? Right? Rav Anan said, there's one of them, the, you lose the money, one you gain money, I don't know the answer, and they learned it from a Brisa. Rav Anan, Brisa Lishmiele, the beginning of Memheim and Aleph, Rav Anan didn't hear about the Brisa. The Shmuel, careful, careful. and if it's from Shmuel, why didn't he just use Shmuel's source? Meaning, why is Rav Anan Ravanan's not sure if you lose the money, you don't lose the money, which of the case. Let me tell you one of the words. Shmuel's statement when it comes to selling a building during Yoivel, selling a field during Yoivel, he says, It is not a sale at all. That does not imply that you lose your money. It is not a sale. Nothing happened. So why is Ravanan not just looking at Shmuel's words? He's saying, in one of the cases you lose the money, in one of the cases you don't. I'm not sure which one. Shmuel said, kol ikr. So if I tell you the sale is void, not valid whatsoever, how can I lose my money? So the Gemara says, I'll tell you why. The answer is, maybe Shmuel meant like this. If I try to sell you a land during Yoival, it's not a valid sale, but maybe you lose the money. Why? Because perhaps this is perceived as giving him a gift in a classy way. Meaning, Perhaps Shmuel, it's possible to interpret Shmuel's statement as being that it's not a sale at all, but you lose the money. How would I lose the money if it's not a sale? Because maybe perhaps we understand what you're doing is trying to give him money in a classy way. Meaning, you want to give someone a gift because he's financially not doing well. He's got pride. You don't want to just, you know, he won't accept gifts. This is what you do. I sell him a land during Yoival, wink, wink, which is obviously not valid. And it's a gift. So perhaps the attempt to sell land during Yoival, the reason why maybe I could have thought that you don't you lose the money is because perhaps we look at it as a gift. And it's our way of you giving him a gift in a classy way. So it's a gift. The money's gone. And the Gemara says, where do we find such a precedent? If a person gives money to his sister and he says, He gives $100. You're, you're Mekudosh to me with this hundred dollars. So what's the halacha? Obviously, it's no Kedushin. It's a sister. But what's the halacha? A Mekudosh, a Chayz, a Rav, a And Rav says, you get the money back because it's not a good Kedushin. Shmuel, Shmuel says, no, the money's gone. Because we perceive that everyone knows you can't be Mekudosh, your sister. So why are you giving her a hundred dollars? It's your classy way. It's a weird way to go about it. But it's a classy way of giving her a gift without, without her receiving a gift. 
So the point is, according to Shmuel, you see such a precedent, so perhaps that would have been the same thing regarding a field, but Kamash Mulan, no. Now we said before, we said yesterday, that if I sell my slave to someone in Chutz Laaretz, I have to free him, the person who bought him has to emancipate him, and the person who bought him loses his money. Let me ask you a question. Someone's going to be penalized here, yeah? The purchaser loses his money. Why don't we say the seller has to give it back, right? You're penalizing one of them, right? They shouldn't have done this transaction. We're penalizing one of them financially. So we're saying, who loses the money? The one who bought it. And he loses his money. Why not say the opposite? Why not say the one who, who sold it has to give the money back? Why, why are we punishing the one who bought it? The Gemara says, why are you punishing the purchaser and he loses his money? Punish the, the seller and say he has to give the money back. It's not the mouse that does damage, it's the hole. Meaning, you're not going to blame the mouse, you're going to blame the hole that he goes into to destroy the home. So what does this mean? Meaning, in other words... In other words, we're not going to blame the one who sold him the slave because he's like a mouse. It's the one who bought the the bought it. It's his fault because it takes two to tango. You need you need the purchaser to be involved to really cause problems. The Gemara says, "What, what do you mean?" The Gemara says, Okay, it's a cute statement that you're not going to blame the mouse. You'll blame the home. But in other words, it takes two to tango. Yeah, in order for you to sell a slave outside of Israel against Chazal, you need a buyer and the seller. So why, why is one worse than the other? So the Gemara says, At the end of the day, we're going to punish the one where the Isser was actually transferred into his domain. Meaning, the person who actually transferred the Dover Isser, the one who actually received the Dover Isser, is the buyer. The buyer shouldn't have done this. He's the one who facilitated and received the Dover Isser. It makes more sense that we are going to punish the person who is actually holding on to the Isser. The seller, okay, he shouldn't have done that. But the Isser's gone. The one who practically right now has the Isser, meaning has the a- a- item of which the transaction that was prohibited, prohibited took place, is the buyer. So we're going to punish the buyer. We're going to be more upset with the fence than we are with the thief. What thief? What are you doing? The guy goes and takes a diamond from somebody. No, but then the Dover Isser is by the diamond. He at least had it in his domain. No, no, the buyer never did it. The buyer had a Dover Hatter by him. By him selling it became a Dover Isser, but the Dover Isser was received by the purchaser. The, no, this, yeah? If I steal something. You did the Isser. Boom. I sell it. Yeah, but, but you had the Isser in your domain. We're going to punish you for that. Here, I'm selling my slave. This slave is permitted. I did nothing wrong. Then when I sell it, now it creates an Isser, but now the Isser is already out of my domain. Yeah, there's a, you know, it's an interesting. That's the svar, I guess. Okay. Okay. Now, fine. The Gemara says like this: Who avda darik mechutz Till now, we've been talking about selling a, a slave outside of Israel. Now we have the opposite. You have a slave that was from chutz that ran away to Eretz Yisrael. Now, here's the point: We're going to see in a moment. We will never force a slave to leave Israel. But we want him to go back to his master. But we're not going to sell him. We're not going to force him to leave. So what are we going to do? We'll force the master to sell him. So again, you have a slave in New York. He runs away and goes to Eretz Yisrael. We will never make him leave Eretz Yisrael. 
So what do we do? So the Gemara says, There was a slave who went from Chutz Laaretz to Eretz Yisrael. He escaped his master and ran to Eretz Yisrael. So the master went and wanted to forcibly bring him back to New York. Ravami told the master, you have the following choice. You could either write a bill of what the slave owes you, and you can emancipate him and he'll pay you, and you'll emancipate him, or else you're going to have to sell him. And by the way, how much, are you, how, much would, uh, how much would someone buy for a slave? You have zero leverage. You're a person, you're selling your slave in Eretz Yisrael to someone in Eretz Yisrael when they know you can't take him outside of Eretz Yisrael. So in other words, you're going to sell him for pennies on the dollar. So you either can free him now and he'll pay you his value, full value, or you could try to sell him, but you'll get pennies on the dollar. Those are two choices. Why? Because we will not make an Eved leave Eretz Yisrael. How do I know this? Because there's a teaching of Rav Bar Yoshe. Rav Bar Yoshe says as follows. The Pasuk says, The Pasuk says, You shall not have Goyim of the seven nations live in Eretz Yisrael because they'll cause you to sin. So the Pasuk overall does not want Goyim in Eretz Yisrael. Now it says, What happens if I have a guy who accepts to not do Avay Dezara? How do I know that we allow him to stay in Eretz Yisrael? This is a, this is a, in the times of the base English they would have like the customs was not checking for drugs it was checking for are you Eved Avedizara you could only say in Eretz Yisrael if you're Mechabal love not to do Avedizara now how do I know that you allow them to stay in Eretz Yisrael if they accept to not do Avedizara because the Pesach says Eved you, do not, you will not return a slave to his master, who escapes to you from his master. Meaning, if you have a guy who escapes to Eretz Yisrael, you're not going to send him back. What do you do? Let him stay. Now, what does this Pasuk mean? This Pasuk is telling you, I mean, the literal sense is, if you have a slave who escapes his master, let him stay in Eretz Yisrael. So what does it mean? Now, the Pasuk shot is, it means that if you have a slave who leaves his master, his master being Avodah If you have a slave who says, I'm no longer doing Avodah I'm leaving my master of Avodah let him stay. That's the Pashim Shad. It's not talking about an actual slave. It's talking about a guy who is the slave to idolatry and says, I'm no longer doing idolatry, let him stay. But Kasha, Ravashi, says, wait a minute, you're telling me this Pasuk is describing a guy who's, who's forsaking his idolatry. Then why is it calling idolatry his master? It should say Elehov, his God. My haim me'amaydenov me'im change the gears of Messiah Sashashin me'im elihav me boyle. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be describing saying that he left his master. It should say he he left his God, right? Me'im the hey changes it elihav. It should be instead of saying that he left his master. It should be if you're telling me that it's referring to a guy who forsakes his idolatry, then say that. Say he left his God. So therefore, what's the pshat? Ela Omer of Yosha, second shot. So the first shot was that it's a Pasuk who's referring to a guy who agrees not to do idolatry and you could let him stay in it. So the problem is the Pasuk doesn't really indicate like that. So second shot, Yosha says, It's referring to you're not allowed to sell your slave to New York. Two Chutzlarts. And the Pasuk is saying that if you have a slave, 
don't send your slave outside of Israel. Meaning, don't sell your slave outside of Eretz Israel. Kasha, the Ravachi, Ravachi, the son of Ravachi, asked the father, his father the following Kasha, Hayasher Yinotzel Ilech, Ashinotzel Meimach Mibayle. The Pasuk describes a slave escaping to you, to Eretz Yisrael, and you're telling me the Pasuk is referring to not selling him to Chutzlar? It's, it's the opposite direction. So I mean, the Pasuk, Pashim Shah means, the slave ran to you. And now you're telling me what the Pasuk is actually referring to is not to sell your slave to Chutzlar. It's, it's the opposite direction. The mashmois don't work. So Rabbi in order says, Rather, the pasuk is referring to a slave who escaped chutzlaritz, ran to Eretz Yisrael, and the pasuk is saying, "You shall not kick him out. If he wants to stay in Eretz Yisrael, you have to let him." So what do you do? Either free him or sell him, but you're not going to kick him out of Eretz Yisrael. That's the gemara. Tani idach another brisa. Before we continue in this theme. This is a quick side, Braza. You should not return a slave to his master. You know what this is referring to? You shall not return a slave to his master, meaning let him be. Let, let him be. What does it mean? So Rebbe says, it's talking about a case, the following case. When a person purchases someone, before he purchases the person, he's about to buy a slave, and he stipulates, in the purchase, I'm buying in order to free you. The halacha is, once he stipulates that, you, you do not let the slave be by the master, meaning force him to, force him to keep his word. If he said he is going to buy him on condition that he's going to release him right away, you have to force him to do that. The Gemara says, Hey, what's the case? Rabbi discussed the case where you wrote the following in the, in the purchase. You wrote, When I purchase you, When I purchase you, you are already free. So the second he purchases him, he automatically goes free. And you can't allow him to work by his master. Okay, now we referenced before that if a slave runs to Eretz Yisrael, you, you, we don't kick him back. Okay. Now this is all within Chutzlaretz. Rav Chizda had a slave who escaped and ran to Beikutai. Now Beikutai and where Rav Chizda lives were both outside of Eretz Yisrael. So it's running from Queens to Brooklyn. Okay, so it's not Eretz Yisrael. So his slave ran away. So Rav Chizda sends to Beikutai, send my slave back. And he escaped to Beikutai. So he told the members of Beikutai, I'd like my slave back. They said to him the following pasuk, do not deliver a slave unto his master. Now we said before, that's talking about if a slave escaped to Eretz Yisrael. This is just Stam. This is within Chutzlart. So they're touching up the pasuk incorrectly. The pasuk is referring to the you shall not return a slave if he escapes to Eretz Yisrael. They're just saying Stam. The pasuk tells us not to return slaves. So Shalchulei, I'm sorry, skip the bracket. Shalchu, he sent to them, That's talking about a slave who runs to Eretz Yisrael. That's when you don't return him. My slave ran to Chutzlaretz. Within Chutzlaretz. He ran from Queens to Brooklyn. I want him back. So he said, you're misinterpreting the Pasuk. That Pasuk is interpreted like And the reason why he preferred Rebbe interpretation of the Pasuk, although we quoted three before, he could have used any of them for his argument. His argument basically is that when a slave runs from Brooklyn to Queens, you give him back. And they quoted a Pasuk and they misinterpreted the Pasuk. We had three interpretations of the Pasuk, but he liked Rebbe He felt that it was the most glot. In the, inter, in the actual diktuk of the Pasuk, he felt that it was the most accurate. Okay. So he wanted to slay back, I guess he got it back. Now, another Maisa with Abaya. Abaya irchis lechamra be'kutai. 
more stories with the Beit Kutoy. <coughs> Abaya lost uh, his, his horse, ran away. A donkey, I'm sorry. A donkey ran away to Beit Kutoy. So Abaya sends the following message. <laughs> he said, I'd like my donkey back. <laughs> they said, listen, all lost objects, you need a simon. What's your simon for this donkey? That it's yours. <laughs> it has a white belly. You know how many donkeys have white bellies? Almost all of them. So they said, They said, if you were not a buyer, They said, if you were not a buyer, we would not be sending back this donkey. Because you know how many donkeys have white bellies? This has to do with the, in Hilchas, in Bab Metziah, we have this concept that we return a lost object to a rov based on Tvius Ayin, which means that even if the rov has no simon, if Rechaim Kinevsky says, that's my watch, and they say, there's no simon. He says, I'm telling you, I recognize it. I would not lie. I'm not playing games with you. I'm telling you it's my watch. We give it back to him. So they said, if you weren't a buyer, we would not be returning this horse. Okay. Weiter. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of Gemara, and then we have one of the strangest stories I've ever ever seen. I'm sure this Kabbalistic Indiana, I'm just going to go Pasha Pasha, because I didn't have time to check up. Benu Yadon, all these things. A fascinating Misa. So the Gemara says like this. Now, this is a very famous thing, because we spoke about yesterday. Which is that there's a general iser. We do not ransom uh, 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 captives for more than the market value. Meaning, if the going rate for uh, for cap, uh, cap, uh, kidnapping is a thousand dollars, and they kidnap a big rabbi, and they say we want a hundred thousand, we do not allow you to buy him back. Why? For the benefit of society. Now the Gemara is going to offer two pshatim as to what the benefit of the society is. Either because it'll, it'll cause too much of a financial strain on the community. Right? They want, right, there's a mitzvah on Klal Yisrael to redeem all those that are captives. If every captive is $1,000, okay, all of a sudden they want 100000 well then you're putting $100,000 strain on the community, that's not fair. Second pshat is that it has nothing to do with the strain on the community. It has to do with the fact that they're going to now capture people more often because they now the market, you don't want to give in to the market value being raised because then they'll start capturing 10 people a week and it's going to create chaos. Now, what's the difference between these two pshatim? The difference between these two pshatim is what if the relatives of the captors, the kidnappers, I'm sorry, the, the kidnappy, the, the relatives of the person who's kidnapped is incredibly wealthy. Right. If the first shot is that you're afraid of putting the financial strain on the community, there's no financial strain. I could write my own check. But if it's because doing this will lead to them kidnapping other Jews with a higher, because they're like, wow, we made $100,000 based on one Jew, I'm kidnapping 10, then we don't allow you to ransom him, even if you could pay for it yourself because you're hurting other Jews. So that would be a difference between these two views. Now, the Mishnah says one more halacha. This is interesting. We do not... Um, help captives escape. We don't break into prisons to help escape captives. Why? For the benefit of society, because they're going to start beating up, and they're going to start. They're going to start um, whenever they kidnap people in the future. Instead of being kind, they're going to beat them up because they're going to be like, "Remember what you Jew, you Jews broke into us last time." They're, they're not doing this again. Meaning, it's going to create a very unhappy. Uh, uh, <laughs> unhappy uh, situation amongst the future uh, kidnappees. A different shot, which is very subtle, it's, it's to benefit the captives that are left behind. Meaning, says, I'm not worried about future captures. I'm worried about like this. You have, they kidnap five Jews. 
you break in to, escape, to get one out. Yeah, you know what the other four are going to be like? Uh-uh, that's not good. So Roshim Lil is more worried about the rest of them that are there currently. The Tanakama is worried about future captures years down the line. They're going to forever treat Jews worse because of the escape. They, they were embarrassed. The difference between these two views, I'm just sharing what the Gemara is going to say, the difference between the two views is that what if there's none left behind? He's the only captive now. If you're worried about future captures, then it's going to be a problem. If you're worried about how they're going to treat the ones left behind, there is no left behind because he's the last captive of this kidnapping uh, chavra. So that would be the two uh, two shots in the Gemara. Okay, let's go through it. A lot of what I just said we're going to read inside. We said... Yeah. No, is there any, any, any prisoner of war? Was it years ago? 100%. That Ravadi Yosef had a whole tshuva where he went through it very, very quickly because I don't have a lot of time. But there's a tshuva, very long tshuva, very fascinating tshuva before they went into uh, Entebbe. Yeah. So they asked Ravadi, he was the chief rabbi, is it permitted? Because similar to the sugya, breaking in to get them out, are you afraid, Are you worried about future captives? So Ravadio wrote a whole, he, he locked himself in a room with Rav, Rav Yashiv, and I think Ravadi Hadaya. They sat three together. Mm-hmm. And they wrote the tshuva up, and they basically felt that Arabs are a little different. Over here we're afraid of like future motivation. He said, they're going to try to kill you whenever they can. It, it's, it's different motivation. By the time they left the room, they had already done the thing. That's what he said. By the time they did not wait for the Shaila to be asked, they, had, they they decided that it was ready to go. And listen, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, they, they you know they save they save Jewish people. But the Gemara says like this: here's the kasha. This prohibition of ransoming more than the market value is it because mishum Is it because you're putting a burden on the community because now they have to pay more than they normally can? Or perhaps it's not the community that we're worried about. We're worried that they're gonna, this is going to lead to more kidnappings in the future because they made a lot of money. What's the difference between these two views? What if the person themselves can pay for it? Meaning, the relatives of the kidnappers, the kidnappees, can pay for it themselves. If you're worried about putting a strain on the community, there's no strain. They could pay for themselves very, very wealthy. If you're worried about it leading to other kidnappings in the future, then it would be a problem as well. So the Gemara says, Tashima, the Levi Badarga Parakal Abarte Betlesa Alpha Dinarizov. Levi Bardarga was apparently a wealthy person. His daughter was kidnapped, and he ransomed her himself for 13,000 13, golden dinars, which is a crazy amount. So you see, he, was, he did it. Presumably, he was allowed to do it. So you see that Chazal will allow you to, to ransom if you're very wealthy because the whole concern is that it's putting a strain on the community. There's no strain on the community because you could do it yourself. And we're assuming that Levi Barbar Darga, who ransomed his daughter for 13,000 golden dinars, did it with the blessings of Chazal. So the Gemara says, How do you know that he did it with the blessings of Chazal? Maybe what he did was usher. Meaning maybe Chazal were not happy with what he did. So you're going to bring a raya from his action. Maybe Chazal were unhappy, and we, we still don't know what the pshat is. Okay, second Gemara we had, which is that there's two different pshatim as to why we will not break out uh, 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 captives. We're not going to break in to save them. One is because we're worried about them beating up the captives that are left behind, and one is we're afraid that in the future when they capture other people, they're going to beat them up. What's the difference between these two views? Maybe Nayu? 
It could be now you delek al achad. The case, the, the difference between these two views is what if you 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 break into to save all those that are remaining. If the whole concern is they're going to beat up the ones that are left behind, there's no one left behind. But if you're worried that they're going to beat up future captures captives, then it would be a problem as well. That's the difference between these two views. It's a machlokes. Now from here until the Mishnah, a very strange story, very interesting story. I don't. I'm sure this Kabbalistic stuff. What's fascinating about the story is that it uses the names of these women, and it turns out it does not end well for them. And it's very interesting. Bansei der Nachman. Okay. The daughters of Rav Nachman, when they would cook soup publicly, they would stir it with their hand. Put their hands in the soup and stir it, and they didn't get burnt. Okay, so now I'll just spoil the entire story for you. There's two ways how that could happen. Witchcraft. Either witchcraft, or you're such a tzaddik, like Avram Avinu going into the Kivshanesh. There's two choices. So they're doing this publicly, yeah? So everyone assumes Sadekis, the daughters of Rabbi Nachman, they must be Mamish, Graiset, Ishit Sakonius. So says the Gemara, Koshil Rav Ilish. Rav Ilish was very confused by this. And he says, Ksiv, I found one Sadik amongst a thousand. I haven't found a woman that's on the level of a Sadik. Meaning, he's not just focusing on women. His point is, even amongst Avram and Sarah, Avram went into the Kivayish, not Sarah. We don't find that w- women will just put themselves into fire. And be fine. There's a Misa there, I think Rezera, Epicim and his wife might have gone into the furnace every once in a while, but it was it was private. I think what bothered Rav Elish is that it was so public. He was saying, listen, if they're such big Sikanias like Avram Avinu, well, why are they doing this every week in public? I'm confused by this. By the way, also it just goes to show you that his um, not pessimism, but his like like questioning what is going on. It's not like a chesar in Damakavschus. He's trying to legitimately find out what is the story here. Are they really special people or are they fraudsters? And he's allowed to ask that. You're allowed to ask. Like a lot of times when they have like a big rub, everyone's like, oh, he has these issues, not issues. And everyone's like, I- I'd like to find out more about this. You're allowed to ask. You're entitled to ask. You're entitled to say, let me find out. Because if he is a fraudster and he is a low life, I got to know that too. To be fair, though, just on the opposite extreme, I'll just say one thing. Um, you should be a little careful with how you, how people talk because I I got food from a, a restaurant last night, food truck whatever, and it's under a certain hechsher that a big rav in the community, my revi, uh, endorses. People came over to us and said, I don't know if that's a good hechsher. I don't. You, you have to before you start telling people whether something's a good hechsher or not, and you say it's not a good hechsher, which stops people from having parnasa. You got to look into it, find that out. You could say I don't know, you're not sure, but but to say I heard it's not a good hechsher. You you should you're affecting people's parnasi. You got You can't you can't you be careful. Point is, so if Ilish is questioning whether these women, well, what's the story here? Now the Gemara says, Well, you're going to find out at the end. It probably witchcraft the whole time. Yeah, it feels like. Oh, it ended up being witchcraft. At least at the end it was witchcraft, so it was probably witchcraft the whole time. So the Gemara says, the Pasuk says, I haven't found a woman that's on the level. You have Bansedir of Nachman, you have the doors of Nachman stirring soup with their hands. So Rav Elish is very confused by this. Now, because of this, they were captured, and so was Rav Elish. Now, Rashi says the reason why these women were captured was because of his, like, eye and harab. But the Marsha has a different shot. I'm going to go with the Marsha's shot. The Marsha's shot is, it was because they did it publicly. It created such a stir that in Shemayim they're like, let's find out what the truth is. So they became captive, and she was, and Ravilish was also captured with them in the same prison because he's going to find out. 
He's going to be there to find out. You're going to see. So the Gemara says, now, Yomichad, one day, so Rav Ilish is in the prison. They were separate. They weren't in the same cell. But you have the women, you have the Rav Ilish. Now, Rav Ilish is sitting in prison. There was a certain guy in his, in his cell that knew, I, I don't know, this is probably also witchcraft. I'm not sure. He, it's a chachma, I guess. Listen, Rav Yechem and Zaka was able to do this. I don't, know, I don't know where it's coming from. He was able to understand birds. He was able to understand birds. Whatever that means, he was Doctor Doolittle. He could understand birds. Yeah. I don't know. No, I don't know if. It, yeah, but I don't. Shlomo Melech, I thought it was coming from. This is a guy, or maybe whatever, whatever it is. However, I, I don't know how to read and listen to birds. He understood what birds are saying. So you have a village and this bird Doctor Doolittle type in the jail. Now the Gemara says, Asa urva All of a sudden, one day, a raven comes and starts calling out. Amrle, it's clearly trying to talk to Rav Ilish, this raven. So Amrle, so Rav Ilish says to this guy, "My come, what, what is this? Uh, what's the bird saying?" So Amrle, he's saying, "Ilish barach, Ilish barach, Ilish flee, Ilish flee." <laughs> That's how my point is that I didn't know that they could understand birds. But he's saying the bird is telling you, "Run, you'll be free. Run, you'll be free." Ilish, he's quoting your name, Ilish. So Amr Urva So Rav Ilish said, "Look at Noyach." Look at Parshas, uh, Parshas Nayach. I don't listen to ravens. They're liars. I'm not listening to him. Okay. Then a couple minutes later, a dove comes. Now, Claudius is compared to a dove. A dove is much more trustworthy. So again, the dove is cooing to him. So he says, Mike, I'm ask the guy, what, what, is, what, is, what is he saying? I'm like, Ilish barach, Ilish barach. He's saying, Ilish ron, Ilish ron. So Omar. We know that Claudius was compared to a dove. This is obviously Hashem's way of saying that I'll be able to escape miraculously. So Omar, so before he escapes, he says, before I escape, let me see. It was very dangerous to escape. He said, let me see if I can get the daughters of Rabbi Nachman out. But he said, listen, I'm going I'm to try to find out before I escape. I want to find out if they're, if they're really tzikonious or not. If they're tzikonius, I'll get them out. If not, not. So what? how do you find out if a woman's an isha tzikonius? Amar, so he said, right? If you want to know what people are talking about, they always schmooze in the bathroom, especially in prison. They don't have other place to go. So he's going to stand outside the women's bathroom and listen and over an eavesdrop. Shaminu Dekamru, he heard them saying the following. Adi guvrin, guvrin. They said the following. Now listen, unfortunately in prison, Women might be attacked. That that's not. No one's going to have a taina on them, but we're going to have a taina on them if they choose to stay with their captors. He overheard the daughters of Rabbi Nachman say, "We had husbands, but now we have new husbands, and that's our captors are our new husbands." Let us tell our captors, "We should get out of here." Because we'd rather not our husbands come. We'd rather not our husbands. We'd rather get away from our husbands so we could just start a new life with these captors. So when Rav Nachman, when, when Rav Ilish hears that Rav Nachman's daughters are willingly staying with the captors, Kamaraki ran away. He and the Doctor Doolittle guy escaped. A miracle happened for Rav Ilish. Over Mimavra, he crossed the river on a ferry. But the other man, killed. he was killed on the, during the escape. Kihajan Vasu and Nachman's daughters eventually came back. I guess they were ransomed against their will. Amr, they said, Ilish told people, I know how they were doing it. It was witchcraft the whole time. Because those women were not the tzakanias that you were thinking of. They were, it was witchcraft the whole time. Okay. Daughters. Very strange. 
I have no idea. So I told you, a strange command. Okay, let's finish up. Ten minutes will be finished. Now, we talked about ransoming people. Now we're talking about purchasing stolen svarim stam, which is sefer taira, svarim, taira, and mezuzas. So sefer taira, tefillin, and mezuzas. So the question is, should I buy them? Right? They're being stolen. You're in a flea market, and they're selling an old sefer taira. Should you buy it? The answer is, yeah, you should buy it so that it's not, so it's not in their hands anymore. But you're not allowed to pay for more than the value. Um, go to the next page. Because of the benefit of society. Again, we don't want Goyim to just start stealing more if they know that there's a more, more market value. If you're paying not more than the above market price, okay, fine. They're not going to do it. But if, you can, if they could charge exorbitant amounts, then it's going to lead to more theft. Now, the implication is, though, I could steal, I could buy, I should buy it for the, for the market value. Why am I buying a Sefer Torah off eBay? Right? So the Gemara assumes to read. So the Gemara says, You're supposed to buy it for, them, for their value. Does that mean that if I buy a Sefer Torah from eBay that was bought, or from a guy who stole it, I could, I could read from it? I could assume that it's kosher? The answer is no, Dimaligna's. No, 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 no. When the Mishnah is telling you to buy it from these Goyim, you're not buying it to read. You're buying it to put in Seamus. You're not going to read it. If you buy a Sefer Torah from eBay, you can't use it because it might have been written by a guy and it might be puzzle. What does it mean you're buying? So what's the purpose of buying? I'm buying it so that it's not uh, Bizayon. So I'm putting it in Seamus. I'm buying it to put in Seamus. We have a tradition. If a Sefer was written by a Min, this is a person like a priest or someone who's very connected to idolatry, Yisarev, you should burn it. Because we assume that when he writes the Shem Hashem, he, impl- he has other gods in mind. God forbid. But if it's written by a standard guy, you put into Shemus. Meaning that a guy can write, a guy writes a Sefer There is Kedusha to the Sefer because he is, we assume that he may not be writing for, he's not writing for another god. I don't know if he's writing for our God, but he's definitely not writing for another God. He's just writing some. He's just copying. He's copying word for word. So therefore, you have to put it in Seamus. Okay? Nimsa biad min. Let's say if you have, that's if it was written by a min or written by a guy. What if, I don't know who it was written by, but a min, a priest, is selling a sefer that he has. So the halacha is, you you put it in Seamus because there's a possibility that he may not have written it. There's a possibility that he got it from a Jew. Then the mission, then the Brisa says, "Nim to be arev What if you have a sefer that that a guy uh, that a guy is selling to you? You go to a flea market and they have a sefer Now I don't know if it was written by a guy. Maybe it was written by a Jew and they bought it from a Jew. So what's the halacha? Some say you could use it, and some say you put it into Shemus. Okay, sefer Torah. If you wrote it. If you wrote it. Yeah. You have one from a guy that you don't you know. You put it into Shemus. And if he's selling it to you, and you don't even know that he wrote it, it's a machlegus whether you could use it. It's very common. Very common. You go into flea markets all the time. You have swarm there, swarm there all the time. They don't know what it is. It's a stroll. Also, nowadays, with the former conservative, you can buy it on eBay. You can have it all the time. It's, it's a, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a big problem. Whenever we go to flea markets, we, there's, Jude, there's Jewish stuff all the time. They don't know what it is. There's a sitter. You go to New Hampshire, there's a sitter because some guy... So we try to buy it because I, I don't want to leave a sitter by Goyim. It's, it's, oh, these sugyas are very, very, very negay. Um, just to finish up, the Gemara says like this, If a Sefer Torah is written by a guy, 
So Tani Chodi Yisarif. One Brisa says burn it. Tani Idach Yiganes. Another Brisa says put in Shemes. Tani Idach Karimba. And a third Brisa says you could read it. So you got all three options. So how do you reconcile this? Again, this is written by a guy. So you have three different Brises with three different opinions. So how do you reconcile the three? Loi Kasha. Let's go through each one. The Brisa that says that it should be burnt is Revel Shita is that the average guy, when he writes something, he thinks his God. So therefore, right before we said that if it was written by a guy, you put it to Shemus. Because it's possible that when a guy writes it, he doesn't mean Yoshka. He means whatever God he's being paid to write for. But Rav Eliezer disagrees. Rav Eliezer feels the average guy, when he says a God, he means his God. In which case, when he wrote a Sefer you have to burn it. Because it doesn't have any Kedush at all. Haditanya Gunas, the Bryce that says you shall put it in Shemus. Haitanu follows the following view. Titani Rav Hamnuna the Rav Mepurushuna. Sefer Mosur. If you have a Sefer that was written by an informer, a Moiser, Evid a Kanane slave, Isha a woman, Katan a child, the Kuti, Visa Mummer or a Jew who is off the Derech, Psulin, they're all puzzle. Not that you have to put them in Shemus, I mean, not that you, that you have to burn it, there, there's Kedusha, but you can't, you can't use these Sefer written by all these people. Why? Why is it that a woman can't write a Sefer What's the problem? They're Jewish. Why? Why can't a child write a sefer Why can't a guy write a sefer According to this opinion, it's very simple. We connect ukshartem uksavtem, which is that we connect writing t- these svarim to wearing tefillin. Ukshartem is wearing tefillin, uksavtem is writing, uh, writing stam. We connect the two. To tell you, anyone who's obligated in wearing tefillin, can be a sofer. But if you don't wear tefillin, Either you're not obligated in wearing tefillin, or you don't practically wear tefillin, you're not kosher for uh, being a cipher. So women, children, goyim, uh, someone who's off the derech, who doesn't wear tefillin, all of these are puzzle cipherim. But the Sefer Torah has kedusha, so you have to put it in Shemus. And how the Tanya Karimbai, and the last view, which says, you should read it, you're allowed to read it, it's the following, Brayse, the Tanya, Loichin Svarim. Shemuel says that you, if you, you could buy a, you could buy a sefer from a guy, as long as it's written properly. And the story goes, there was a certain guy who was writing in Sidon. He was writing Stam. Shemuel allowed it. Okay, so there's an opinion. By the way, this is a pel de gezach. There's an opinion that holds that a guy can be a cipher. So he says. Now the Gemara says, I, I find that to be very, very strange. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you outside, and we'll see it inside. Um, I, I find it very strange that a guy can be right as Sefer Torah because it, uh, Sefer Torah has to be written Lashma, which means it has to be written for the right intention. I find it very hard to believe that a guy knows the concepts of Lashma well enough to do this. And I'll prove it to you. Rav Shem is the one who says that a Sefer Torah written by a guy is fine. The problem is, Rav Shem holds... That uh, that the tefillin boxes have to be smoothed and created lishma. So you're telling me like this: everyone agrees that a guy cannot do something lishma. He's not in the parish of doing something lishma. So how could Rav Shimon allow a guy to write a sefer Torah? Vice the you have to say that a sefer Torah doesn't need to be written lishma. That's the only option, right? 
Everyone assumes that a guy cannot, cannot write something l'shema. He's not in the parish of writing something l'shem yichud kudshabrichu. Like this is not l'shem mitzvahs. Like come on, he's not writing something l'shema. So why would Shmuel allow him to write a sefer Torah? Because he doesn't need it to be l'shema. The problem is Shmuel holds that tefillin has to be worked l'shema. You're telling me that the tefillin cases have to be made l'shema. The hide has to be processed l'shema, but the sefer Torah doesn't have to be written l'shema. Is there such a possibility? There's no way. The Gemara says, you tell me Rishim Malil holds that it can be written that's why a guy can write it but it needs to be made the tefillin cases need to be made it's the opposite that's, that doesn't make any seichel that the, the boxes need to be made but the, tef- but the tefillin inside can be written by a guy are you talking to such a thing? The Tanya, how do I know that Rishon Gamliel holds that the cases of tefillin have to be processed l'shma? Because that's sipon zav. If tefillin are coated in gold, no good. Or or if instead of using leather, you used pig skin to make tefillin. Psulus, it's possible. Or behematayra. If you used a kosher animal, ksherus, it's kosher. Even if the casings were not made for the intent of tefillin cases, it's kosher. Rishon Mulil disagrees. He says, Afilo or behematayra, psulus, yab nushma. Rishon Mulil says, it has to be made lushma. So you're telling me like this. You're telling me that the tefillin cases have to be made lushma, but the inside of tefillin can be written by a guy? No way. So the Gemara says, you know what? Amar Abba Shmuel, Beger Shechazel You know what the case is? It's not written by a guy. Rishim Gilil is not okay with it written by a guy. Of course not. When it says guy, you know what it means? It means a convert who went off the derech. A convert who went back to his ways. He went back to his Christian ways. So that's someone we call him a guy. Not that he's an actual guy. He's technically a Jew. But he's acting like his original guyish self. And the reason why he could write it is because he, he was Jewish at some point, so he knows what Lashma means. So the Gemara says, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me that a Sefer Torah can be written by a convert who's now Christian? Well, what, what does that mean? That's a Christian. He's a Christian. He's, 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 then, then, of course, it's, it's, you have to burn it. So the Gemara says, No, 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 no. It means he's a convert who's back to being Christian out of fear. So he doesn't act that way privately. Publicly, he goes to church. So he's obviously doing something wrong. So we're calling him a guy because he's acting outwardly like a guy. But deep down, it's, it's out of fear. So if he writes it, we, we're going to kosher it. We're going to say it's kosher because he was Jewish. He's still Jewish. He knows how to write it lishma, And he's only doing Christian stuff outwardly, but inwardly he's, he's from Jew. He's just doing it out of fear. Okay, fine. You it, it's kosher. Now just... To, just the Moran, just to finish up to the mission. We're not going to do the mission. We'll get to the mission, then we'll stop because it's a Friday. Tenor Abonin, Mylin Bidmein Akade Tarpik. We said that you're allowed to buy Sefer Torah Tefillin only uh, unto the. You're not allowed to pay more than their market value, but you are allowed to go one Tarpik above their value. So if the market value for Tefillin is hundred dollars, you could buy it from a guy for one Tarpik above hundred dollars, hundred two dollars, whatever it is, because that's that's close enough. The Gemara says, "My Tarpik, what's a Tarpik?" I'm Rav Shesh's Istera. It's an Istera coin. Okay. Now we said before that you're not allowed to pay too much for a tefillin. You're allowed to pay market value. So Abaya played a gamble and it didn't work out. There was a certain Arab woman. She came with a bag of tefillin before Abaya. And Amrle, no, say she wanted he wanted to she wanted to sell it to him. Now he's allowed to buy the value of it. But he said to himself, why am I paying value for tefillin from a, a woman who stole it? I'll try, I'll get 10 bucks, right? Let's say tefillin are worth $1,000. I'm not going to pay $1,000. I'll pay 10 bucks. So she, he said to her, give me each pair for some dates. Because he's thinking to himself, what is it? So she hears it's worth dates. She's like, eh, 
She threw it in the water. So she threw it in the water. She was like, oh, I thought these were valuable. These are trash. Threw it in the water. So Amr, he said to himself, I shouldn't have made it so cheap. He said, I shouldn't have cheapened in her eyes too much. That's on me. You know, that, that's on me. I shouldn't have done that. All right, we'll stop here. I do not remember the story. I have my phone in the front seat.